Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another Grayscale Gorilla podcast. I am Chris Schmidt, and I'm hosting today. How's it going, Chad? Good. So Good Nick is uh, Nick is on a trip this week, so it's going to be me and Chad. So we thought it might be kind of fun to do a breakdown, kind of maybe talk a little bit about the process of a little spot we put together for the Happy Toolbox animation that we did. But before we get to the specifics on that, is there any cool side news going on? I know you're talking about uh, earlier or maybe late last week about some rendering stuff going on. Uh, yeah, there's some. There's a couple new things to talk about there. We've got um, lots of new versions cooking up. Uh, Arnold is now starting to tease out some new developments, new subsurface, new car paints, new shaders uh, for doing like matte shadow stuff. I think a new version of Octane came out and then Redshift continuously updates. I think like now they're on like an update schedule. I feel like it's like every week, or every other week, something's being added there. Um, what else? Nothing, nothing major. Uh, but yeah, updates all around, which is nice for somebody like me because then I can. There's always like every week. There's a like a present to waiting to be opened and test out some cool new stuff. So I like the fact that there's always something new to check out and that it's kind of always evolving which is fun uh, just because we haven't touched on it in a little bit where i know it's constantly shifting and it depends on what you're working on but where would you say you are right now as far as the different renderers and which one you're kind of reaching for and for what reason well that'll i'm sure we'll touch a lot about that because i i i was in two different renderers for this project that we're going to talk about but i would say Right now, I'm spending 60% of my time in Redshift purely because of the speed and 40% in Arnold because of the features and the, just the stability of it. Um, so, But I'm doing several types of things right now, and, and I kind of will bounce between whichever one is, is working. And that'll be a huge part of this about this podcast when I when we get into the rendering of this project and like what all the different hurdles that I had to like overcome, I guess, even though they're not like huge, but they were very annoying. But yeah, that I hope that answers your question. Like sixty forty right now. Okay. No, no octane hiding in there anytime. No, I kind of stopped using. In fact, I didn't even install it for R nineteen, and since because I just wasn't using it and. I left it in R18 and I haven't even installed it in R19 just because I just don't really, I get what I need out of out of that. If I need something fast, I just use Redshift. It's like kind of become second nature and the shading is good and making shaders is nice. So yeah, I don't really need it. Yeah, I do have, um, actually I do have one thing. I need to get this out, but I don't know if we talked about this. I... Um, I was talking to Mike uh, Beeple, and he was starting to want to look at Redshift. So I was like, "Let me let me call you on Hangouts, and I'm going to give you like a tour of Redshift, and I'm going to like do it on Hangouts so that I can it'll be recorded and stuff." So we did that. Like we did like an hour. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but a lot of his renders have kind of started becoming more Redshift renders. Uh, I don't think he's really calling a lot of attention to it, but most of his newer ones are Redshift. And that was after we did this video. And so I kind of walked him through and answered a bunch of his questions and I recorded the whole thing. But the crappy thing about it is when you do these like hangout things, they're only 720p. So I'm going to get that video out. It just kind of was like, oh man, 720p kind of sucks because I do a lot of screen share in the video and it doesn't look that great. But I'm going to put it up on YouTube anyway. It's just a matter of uh, getting to it. We have a lot of stuff backlog that we need to get out tutorials and stuff yep yep so maybe we can get into some of the specifics of this project to start this off also let's mention that we've got a couple people from the gsg connect the slack channel for grayscale gorilla customers and uh, where we hang out and we answer questions and see what people are working on so they are going to be they're going to have some questions for us later on so let's keep that in mind anybody who's currently in that chat room, make sure that you get some questions ready. But we recently released on Grayscale Gorilla a big old set of models from the Happy Toolbox. And they are, they're super fun. They're very, a lot of them are 
clean and simple, a little bit stylized, playful. They're kind of like children's toys as far as they style. And the, the instant that those kind of, I guess, fell into our lap where it's like, oh, this is something we want to support and get behind. I immediately was like, okay, I've got an idea for a spot that I want to put together. And we kind of were in the middle of a bunch of different things at Grayscale Gorilla and kind of wasn't in our time budget to tackle something like that. But I was just kind of enthusiastic about it. So I started working on it after hours just as a, a fun something or other to put together. We might uh, do a, a little bit of screen stuff on here, but I think we'll maybe, if we do anything important, we'll do screenshots and link to them um, if there's anything that people need to specifically visualize. But Yeah, I think uh, when we saw this pack, it was kind of like begging to be animated in 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 some way like this and yeah i think you started messing around just like by building a landscape right yes i went and i put together the entire scene let's see if i can quickly i'm just gonna share for a second we'll put screen chat so i put together a layout where it's just a whole it's just a bunch of the models that I thought would be really cool to do in kind of a big scale. Actually my original idea was going to be take to take every single model, like all the food items and everything, and kind of zoom from this very small level and get bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you're seeing this gigantic city and pyramids and clouds. And I started putting it together and I ended up being kind of at the city scale and I liked the look of that. So I never went to a tinier one because I thought I'd be kind of forcing it. Mm -hmm. and so so that th this bit was fun and throwing together kind of just this proof of concept of like okay here's the scale and the camera kind of flying we're gonna see more and more of it so i had put that together and it was actually really straightforward all the models are in the pack all the models are set up in such a way where they're all kind of scaled about 400 by 400 uh, well, not less than that. They're about the size of a cube. They're designed to be kind of identical that way. So a uh, fun thing that I like doing as far as laying it out would be to, in Cinema 4D, jump into the content browser and select all of the models and drag them in. And I wouldn't grab every single model of everything I was going to use. And they all, if you do that in the content browser, you grab everything, you drag it in, it's all going to be piled up on top of each other. And sometimes they can look a little bit cool and crazy if you use all the models, but I would quickly grab all of them and just type in to the X or the Z coordinate num, which is index times about 400, just to give you enough breathing room. And it would, it would go and it would grab every single model and stretch them out into space and kind of give me a relative idea of everything. And so my first step in this process was just to go through and be like, okay, maybe that truck is my base scale. So if I were to start and like there's a truck, it's pretty small, but I'm gonna scale everything else to that truck scale. And I just went through and did a rough pass of scaling every single object up to about the right size. And once I've scaled everything to what I think is the correct size, I just started laying them out in the scene. Just seeing, you know, how it's scaled together and how packed it should be and whatnot. And based on me just kind of throwing together this rough layout, I started talking to you about it and you were super on board. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember like the first thing I saw was probably just like a pretty rough, pretty rough layout of like everything. And like, I think you had thrown like just about everything you possibly could at that one shot. And that I was, was a like, second pass. <laughs> that was a second pass. Yeah, I had done that, that really kind of clean one with a little bit of everything. And then you're like, I, I like it. I think we should continue moving forward on it. You, you wanted to jump in for the rendering part because I definitely, yeah, I wanted it to look better than I was going to be able to get it to look. So as soon as you signed off, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and build the real one. And so I jumped into cinema and I immediately started doing a big, gigantic, fancy city layout. And unfortunately, I don't have any iterations of that particular one saved. I just saved over it. But it ended up being a lot more epic in scope. And it's sort of what we went with, but I had so much more. So if you watch the actual spot, it was that layout, but there was... There's almost no blank space. There's trees everywhere. There's more city. There's just more everything. And you were like, I like it, but there's too much. And, it's like, and I, I, as, soon as, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, man, yeah. And it's like, there's nowhere to rest the eye. It's just super crazy. So I went immediately just started like ripping trees out and deleting things. A lot of the layout was pretty fun and straightforward to put together. We're not going to do any kind of a detailed breakdown here, but a lot of things with the trees, I just found all the trees that stylistically match what I want to go with from the model pack. And I put them inside of a cloner. And then I started drawing just rough spline outlines of like, I want some trees here. I want some trees over here. And just kind of 
splattering them all over the, the landscape wherever I wanted them. And I just threw the entire thing into a loft and then set the lofts, uh, what do you call it, like the cap subdivisions mm. to quads and then set that to a scale where I liked the density of it. And now I could just draw splines to get trees wherever I wanted to. A couple of effectors, a couple of random effectors to get random scale and rotation, push apart effectors so they're not quite bumping into each other. And boom, those trees are placed. And I did a lot of similar things where it's like, okay, we're going to do a bunch of buildings. So that's a cloner on a plane. And I could just delete out or do a selection tag so that I could place certain buildings manually, but other ones would be randomly distributed. Kale starts nights fall offs. So was a, a big goal here was, was that everything was going to kind of appear from nothing, scale on. So we had to. Yeah, let's talk about that. I think, like the, the, because I think that the art direction that we decided on early kind of dictated how we did everything from there on out everything from the camera move to the object. Yes. So we, we, oh, yeah. we wanted to do like this, like almost like a, a stop motion vibe, but a bit more like um, a bit less sophisticated is what you would see from a, a top, stop motion studio. So it has like that little bit of imperfection. And so Chris, um, animated everything to kind of pop on, but then sort of move every once in a while. Like the animator came into the set to move something and accidentally bumped something else, or maybe something got imp like wasn't placed perfectly. And that sort of imperfection was was really uh, a big part of this. So talk about talk about that because when the first time that I saw it, I was kind of like, oh, it's interesting how you put the, the, how you, how you created a building coming on and having it move. Talk about that a little bit. Well, specifically, and actually there's something that we'll talk about maybe a little bit later on because you and I had slightly different ideas about the way we wanted the final frame rate to be. Mm -hmm. And I'd still actually kind of like to see the other version, but we'll, we'll get to that. But what I was aiming for, and with the early passes, especially if, if anybody watching has ever seen any of the, what, how do you say it? Lakia? Le uh, Leica. Leica? Is it just Leica? Okay, the yeah. Leica animations. So stuff like Box Trolls and Coraline, and they got a couple others, and they're really good. And of course, they do like absolutely gorgeous stop motion animation. But something that I really love is at the either start of the credits or the end of the credits, there's a shot that you'll see where you see the animators in a time lapse doing the animation. And so you'll see the character kind of doing a like, like jump, 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 jump. But the animator, you can see like, blurring around the screen doing all this stuff. And that's kind of a vibe I really liked. So something I was specifically going for is having a lot of things randomly moving, but having a high frame rate so you'd see these individual pops. Um, and so from that point forward, I think I had gotten an idea a second pass where it wasn't so cluttered and everything. And I handed it off to you and you recorded a camera move that you liked. So nothing was animated. It was all oh, the entire oh, that's model. Right. That's right. Higher model existed. Everything's there. And I even like baked it down. I remember I was trying to figure out a good way of baking everything down so you could get like a real time playback. And it actually runs quite well in the viewport, but it's not going to run in real time with a lot, you know, thousands of models all in cloners so that's not going to run super smooth no, so i remember I was, slow. To, I was trying to figure out a good way of doing that and i was even considering i was doing stuff like throwing it into a connect object but i was actually running into limitations there because i was doing a lot of i would have the model and i'd create an instance of that model and then an instance of that model there'd be like two of them mirrored so there'd be two so maybe i put them in a the cloner to make a row of them to make like the blocky bridges and i put that instance of an instance in a cloner and then that cloner would get instance in the multiple places so when you start layering up cloners of instances like that when you go to start making things editable you have to make them editable in a very specific way and the the scene was just getting so big that that specific way was getting very i guess tedious whereas like okay i gotta go find all of the instances and delete that or make them editable but some of those are instances are cloners so those cloners need to be made editable so instead i just turned off all the subdivision surfaces and exported it out as an fbx file i was like fbx do the model brought it back into cinema made sure the scale was the same and i sent you the baked down fbx file and i didn't have to think about any of those bits and you get you sent me back a really nice camera that i i think barely changed from that moment yeah, I got the uh, I got the bake down scene, which I didn't. I, I don't think I even knew that you did the FBX method. I think I just got the bake down scene, and um, yeah, I just I quickly kind of blocked out a camera move that I thought was sort of interesting, and I wanted it to show the um, 
the vastness of the landscape and like whenever you're doing a shot like that like the best thing you can do is just is to create depth in the shot and the way that you do that is you have things at extreme foreground and things at extreme background so that way you're getting a real sense of 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 the the vastness of the of the world that you're in so it's important for me like to to start the camera off in, in sort of a, in an innocuous place, but have it go right by, I think a tree. I made sure like I came real close to a tree and then I swooped it down and came by the road and then kind of ended it. And uh, I think we, I think I ended up using um, a future tool that we probably shouldn't talk about in too much detail, but it'll, it'll, we'll talk about it more in the months to come. But uh, we have a specific tool that made this um, camera move even more beautiful and, and nice. And um, it turned out good. And so when I gave the camera back to Chris, Chris kind of saw what I was doing and that I wanted to get really close to some objects as we passed by them. And you tweaked some of, of the layout to kind of help me do that, right? Oh, yeah. I, 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 this, this went into the, like the iterative process now where it's like, okay, we've got the layout for the most part and we've got the camera move. So it was turning into how is this going to animate on? And then there was a lot of like, oh, I'm going to make sure that there's a train in the opening bit. There's a little train that's going to show up right away. And I'm going to put something here to make that opening frame look good. Um, at least that's what I'm attempting to do there. And at that point, it's like, okay, here's where the start point is. So at for a lot of the animation, I had to get a lot more specific, but a lot of the animation is one gigantic effector. It's a, just a plane effector that has a spherical fall off and that spherical fall off is enlarging to essentially keep up with the camera. I, I hand keyframed it. I had been thinking about building like an espresso rig where it would, there was a start point and based on the distance of the camera, it would be creating that radius and I would have a slider to modify that to be closer or further away. I ended up just hand keyframing it but uh, all all of that was that all of that was working well, but there ended up being a couple little tricks where, like you like you said, you want to create foreground depth by having things, and you had made this very intentional move where the camera flew be close behind this tree. But I was intentionally trying to animate everything so that we didn't see it pop into frame until after the camera had passed it. So I ended up separating out certain things to be animated separately. So like those trees popped on or were already there before the camera gets there, but then other things would pop in as the camera got past it. So that ends up being an interesting thing, separating out certain things like the railroad tracks and the street, uh, the, the blocks that make up the street would appear on slightly before the vehicles that would be driving on them and things like that. So very similar spherical fall offs. And eventually the entire scene got baked down into very clean, like all these buildings are in a cloner and all the trains are in a cloner. So th at the end of the day, I think there's maybe just 12 cloners and a couple of them just had slightly different spherical fall offs. And that made for the vast majority of everything that was in the scene. So that, at that point is a lot of, I do a bunch of tweaks, do a bunch of things, send it over to you. You were doing render tests and material tests and they'd go back and I'd, and I'd tell you, okay, I just changed like 50 little things. I moved miles around and changed it. And I kept pushing for like a tiny bit of, I don't even know what it is because right now the buildings just pop into the scene and they're popping in the scene by just scaling up from zero. Actually, a fun fact for everybody out there, there's, I, I don't know if it's a bug, but there's a thing in Cinema 4D that if you use a certain combination of, of effectors and it has scaled down to zero, you can get some, some super cloner weirdness where things rotate where something will suddenly rotate 90 degrees. And I don't know what causes that. Hmm. And my fix is instead of scaling down to zero, I scale down to 0 0.001. It's so tiny that if you're super close or if something's really close to the ground, you might see like a little ambient occlusion or something. But I, I never saw it pop up at all as a problem. But that's definitely a thing that I've run into. And I luckily, I remembered that that was a solution. So when they after they pop up, um, after they pop on, they move a little bit. Well, and, actually, yeah. Well, that's why I was saying, sorry, the, uh, I was trying to get so that the buildings would have a little bit of like overlap where they kind of like overshoot and scaled to their final position. Not something you're supposed to see, but more feel, but you liked it being a little bit more mechanical where it's just like, boom, they're there. Like the artist yeah. placed the building in that spot and now it is where it's supposed to be. Yeah, uh, I think that, I think that I, I still like that call because uh, to me, I don't want to see wood scale. It just like yes. takes me out of it. Like I want to see wood 
sort of even in this sort of stylistic world behaves somewhat like wood you know where it's not yeah, that's like convinced me yeah squashy and stretchy and stuff but when i had a gray render going which is the way i was testing everything mostly i was just doing in viewport stuff like re exporting as like hardware renderer it's like okay the buildings are scaling up and they look really cool that way and you're like yeah but they're going to be covered in like grainy wood and we're gonna see that wood scaling and it's like yeah that's a good point like that definitely pulls away from it a little bit that's i think that you know this is this is the first time you and I had ever worked together on like a production job. Mm, or did we do it before? Sort of, uh, there's the marble thing that we haven't done anything with that we are sort of going back and forth on. Yeah, so that had a similar kind of vibe where you and I were bouncing back and forth. Yeah, definitely. It's like when you're working with a really small team, in this case, just two people, it's a lot easier to kind of have these types of discussions where you, where you, and the fact that we didn't have a client, which is like yes. amazing, like that never happens. But yeah, it was a lot easier to kind of have these discussions and sort of like have this push and pull about what we think is right and what we think. And, and, and what's good, cool about working with somebody like Chris um, is that you're pretty open to the reasoning behind some of the decisions that we made. And I think that's really important when you're working with, with a, in a team is that everybody needs to be open to the process and open to hearing each other out on ideas or tweaks or things, ways to make it better, um, obviously within restrictions of the timeline and budget and all that. But yeah, that was something that I, um, uh, I liked about this process is that uh, I think I got to know how you work a little bit more, and I think you got to know a little bit how I work a little bit more, which we just never really did at this scale before. Yeah, well, I mean, that was that was one of the main reasons that you were enthusiastic about it. Is like it was just getting to do a little bit of production, which we don't do a ton of at Grayscale Gorilla. We do a little bit where we do spots, and you've put together some spots, but those have almost been entirely you. So it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun cool to work. It was cool to work with a TD again, somebody that like could make all that awesome stuff move around and do wild stuff. Yeah, and and we'll get to the uh, the lighting and whatnot in a second. But uh, like you're saying, eventually, so we didn't go with the buildings having a little bit of springiness to them, but we did, and I did add in a random effector, actually using, I think I was using the new R19 fall off feature so it was a random effector so it could go randomly off? yeah it could go randomly positive or negatively on rotation there's only like like one or two degrees like really tiny amounts and a little bit of positional wiggle but then i was using the noise fall off which is new in r19 so it was like a very high clamped noise where it's just like whenever there's an animated noise and there's mostly a giant field of white but every once in a while there's be a, a couple spots of black around and if it caught a spot of black it would suddenly do this little twitch so that made it really easy to go and be like, oh, I want more of that. I want lots of that. I want it to be quicker. I want it to be more subtle. So just one simple effector that applied to like every single cloner made it super straightforward for that that to work. I feel like you should do a stop mo tutorial now, like maybe even using some of these elements because I think that's something that comes up in production. Like I think in my in in my career, I've, I can think of at least three times where we had to do like fake stop mo and like have things kind of move a little bit and like imperfection and all that. I think that would be a cool tutorial. I think people would dig dig seeing that. Yeah, there's definitely some fun bits on there. One of the fun things with this was getting to use a bunch of our tools, like because a, a, effectively every single tool we've ever made comes because something that we've been trying to do, we think of a cool way of solving it, or I'll make a very simple rig. It's like, oh, this could be developed into something bigger that would is applicable to everybody and other people might want it. So we end up using our HDRs in this. We end up using an upcoming thing that we're working on that we can't really talk about. Uh, and I was also making an extensive use of Signal for it. Um, a really fun part of this, one of my favorite bits, was just animating the trains and the cars. And what I wanted to do was have the cars, it, like I wanted that additional imperfection of a stop motion-y type vibe. So they're being moved forward via a plane effector. Or actually, not even, that's not even true. They're run along a spline. It's really easy. I just drew some splines that were already, how the roads were kind of being swept and or placed all the blocks. And all the trains and the cars were on that spline. 
and I made sure the splines were oriented correctly so the cars would be moving in two directions of traffic. And then the cloner just has an offset. You can drag an offset and they'll move forward. And if they hit the end, they'll pop back to the beginning. And so in this case, that's perfect, exactly, exactly what we want. So using our tool signal is a tool we made to do animations and automate that things and make it so that they're infinite. And this animation, how many frames is this, did this end up being? I know we, well, it's a low frame rate, but the well, C file is how many seconds long? I think, uh, well, it's 23 seconds long now, but that's with the end tag. And before that it was longer because we were, we were actually doing it um, at double frame rate. At one point I remember getting a file that was a thousand frames. And yeah, I was gonna say, I remember doing a thousand yeah, so wow. I think it it then then we chopped the frame rate down and we, it was coming out at 500 frames. Uh, thank God, because that took a while to render at a thousand frames. Uh, well, and we end up doing some of the decisions. I think end up being be, be, being because of render time. So we'll definitely get to those. But using signal on the vehicles moving, I wanted to go for an additional stop motion vibe. So that offset was being told to just constantly move forward. But in the newest version of Signal that came out maybe six months ago or so, we have some additional features, which, oh, geez, what do we even call it? We, we used to call Quantize, it Quantize. It's right? not called that anymore. It's called like snapping or stepping. I think it might Wait, be stepping Wait, you can't remember now. the name of your own. Because, no, because I wanted to call it Quantize, and we called it Quantize <laughs> forever. And then... We, Was it step time, maybe? It might be step. I'm checking now. Now we have oh, to yeah, it's called step. Okay, it's called step. Okay. <laughs> Good. That's why I'm confusing it. At least one of us knew. Um, the stepping allows you to step via time or step via a parameter changing a certain amount. So what I did is I ended up using a signal tag to say, I want you to randomly step, let's say, three frames. But then I added a second signal tag feeding back into that one where I was actually adding randomness to how much time was stepping. Mm -hmm. So it had a variation. So any given frame the cars had a variation of frames of anywhere from two, three, or four. So they, there's additional randomness in, the, in the, you know, the way the stop motion feels to make it feel a little bit more messed up. That felt a lot more pronounced when we were running at you know, 30 frames a second or 24. I'm not sure what we were originally aiming for. But we ended up going with uh, holding on twos, running it, I think, on 12s. Yep. Or we are, we're on 12 frames a second. So a lot of that kind of went away with that, which... Um, it's still there. It's just more subtle, which I think is good. I, I, to me, like I liked that too, but I didn't like seeing the cars like smoothly move backwards, or you know what I mean. Like I, I didn't mind seeing them smoothly move forward because that makes sense for the animator to have done that. But it wouldn't have made sense for the animator that was there on the set to move the same car backwards smoothly. It makes sense for them to bump it and have it maybe forget to move it on a frame. Um, but it, well, it wasn't smooth because the cars were always running on a minimum of twos. Yeah, I don't oh, know. It, just, it was just something about it. it. It felt better. That particularly felt better at the lower frame rate to me. I guess because you're so used to seeing a car going a specific direction. I don't know. Just yeah. my, my brain. But then, but then it started getting to the point where you were really getting a lot of really cool look dev. And at this point, I was we were constantly, I was constantly being like, I got a new file for you. You're like, okay, I guess I'm I want to kill the, you. The main file again. <laughs> because I was doing things like, I was like, oh, the trains are hovering a couple, like a little bit above the track. And this other thing is like popping in weird. And then, uh, and then for like this one frame, the boat pops in and pops back out again because of the way the, you know, it's moving and the, the circle's moving. So, and then I was doing things like uh, I started adding smoke in. It's like, oh, and I started adding smoke stacks everywhere. It ended up being too much, and I pulled it back again. But we made it so the factory had smoke. And then I did like a, le a little Elon Musk reference, and I put the rocket. I, I was putting uh, the rocket somewhere because I like the rocket. I was like, oh, I'm going to put the rocket on the barge, and we're going to have it blast off. I was like, Chad, you're going to hate me, but I'm going to blast off the rocket. You're like, I love that idea. Like, do it. Dude, that when I think it like that moment when you added the smoke i probably that's probably the most excited i got because i was like oh wow that's great and i can just imagine it be kind of stop motiony and like it's like popping off instead of like just trailing or getting more transparent or something and it just it had this really interesting vibe because you're you're it's one thing like the clouds are one thing cuz a, a cloud 
made out of wood is interesting enough but then like you take rocket smoke and like smokestack smoke and make that out of wood and i can just imagine my brain was like and each one of them would be a slightly different shade of wood and i'm like oh this is going to be so cool and it turned out great yeah so those, those turned out well that also turned out to be the biggest pain in the butt eventually right but we'll get it, to that. it was really straightforward to put together and i love and even that the smoke are models from happy toolbox and i use the flat bottom clouds for the sky and then the really big fluffy ones for the smoke coming out and so yeah, tell people see. about how you did the smoke for both of them because i think a couple people have already asked about the smoke well initially i did it as straightforward as possible which is and because i knew these were really simple there's nothing super crazy happening with them so i did it as simple as possible i grabbed the original old school cinema 4d particle emitter and then i put in a couple variants of the cloud and I said, go ahead and emit at a certain speed up. And I put a big wind in the scene that would blow in one direction. And the rocket just had an emitter on the rocket. And when the rocket blasted off, it, uh, when the rocket blasted off, it would just leave the particle behind as it moved upward. And then the wind would naturally kind of blow it off to the side a little bit. I might even add a little bit of downward motion. It was mostly the rocket moving up. And then I keyframed, and I think this is where some of the trouble started happening. Uh, Anybody who's familiar familiar with the old school particle emitter, you can't tell it how many particles to emit. You have to set a certain number of particles, and then you can animate the visibility. And then once we started animating the visibility, I think it started confusing some of the third-party renderers. So that ended up being a big problem. And we ended up running into a couple of those as far as um, the way we were approaching it. But as far as limiting it to the smoke, you were moving on. I think we had actually jumped renderers maybe two or three times at this time point. And every time there's a different problem. Yeah, so we, were, could... we already went to the, we already went, ended up in, in Arnold at that point. Like we had already, I had already leapt over one hurdle and then, yeah, the smokestack thing, or that wasn't the smokestack, wasn't the big problem. It was that damn rocket. The rocket. problem. And it's weird. Yeah, the smokestack because... was constant, but the rocket had to suddenly animate on at a particular time. Although yeah. I just had an idea pop in my head that we could have gotten around it with the old school way. Now, well, the rocket started off. We'll just keep, stay on the rocket for a second because it's kind of an interesting problem. So the rocket was like you know traditional uh, C forty particles, which by the way I've never even used those before, so I didn't even I just saw them in the scene. I'm like, okay, this is how he's doing it. And sometimes that's what happens. You get a scene from somebody and you start to work with it. And it was working fine in the viewport. Um, at this point, I'd already moved from Redshift to Arnold. So I was pretty, pretty, and we'll get, I'll rewind on that in a minute, but just to say on the rocket smoke. And what was happening was whenever we were sending the, um, when I was sending the, the scene file up to PixelPlow to render, um, it was not rendering the smoke. Uh, coming out of the rocket, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. It was checking all the logs. It was just being really weird. So I'm like, okay, it, it obviously, it the render farm needs to render it sequentially because it's not able to do the run up properly. Like, uh, without caching particles, how does the renderer know what's happening at frame 100 if it hasn't run up and done zero through 99 of the frames, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, let's, let's just, let's just cash this out. So you, it's really weird and I didn't know this, but it's not as simple as just like throwing a dynamics cache uh, on the particle simulation. You actually Sadly, have no. to, you have to like do that through some weird sub menu of the particle system. And that was the aha moment. Like, so everything was messing up and I was like pulling my hair out. In fact, I even, I think I even had you rebuild it in X particles. No, no, we rebuilt it twice. I don't even know. I don't remember which one we find. We ended we went. Back, we I think we went back to the regular one. Well, you said you said you were having trouble with the regular particle system, mm -hmm. and then I was like, okay, if the if the particle system is giving us trouble, you were like, do an X particles. I was like, no, particles is what got us into this mess. I'm going to build a cloner based rig. So I made a spline, and I was cloning things on the spline, and the spline was just cycling them back up to the top, and there was the same fall off. So it kind of looked like an emitter, but it was there was no emission. Every particle. Every cloner particle existed all the time. I don't remember. We built that rig. It was I, on my end completely working. But once again, something in the render farm did not like it. I don't yeah, remember what it was, but something didn't work. Yeah, that one. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened with that either. I can't remember. But once, so we, I remember getting the X particles one 
and then realizing that Pixelplow didn't have uh, the latest version of X particles for that would work with uh, with Arnold. So I was like, "Damn it!" You know, like I can't win with this stupid missile. So I'm I was at that point determined to figure out what went wrong with your original sim, and that's when I discovered that sub menu where you actually have to um, you have to tell it to bake. The particles so i would bake the particles and then i would actually i would cache the particles and then i would just i don't even know if this was even necessary but i double cached it so i cached the particle system and then i even threw i think a mograph cache on that because basically you were cloning you were cloning um geometry onto particles so that's that was another thing that i needed to figure out because it wasn't just the particle system it was a cloner that was putting spawning clones on top of the particle position so i had to i had to bake it twice and once i did that it worked fine and it was all it was all good so that that was a, a hurdle that we had to we had to overcome but man yeah i mean that was super frustrating so uh but let's, anyway uh, let's rewind a little bit to the uh like the the render look development and the the process we were going through on there we kind of just tackled all the technical hurdles we had as far as bouncing things back and forth but there yeah. was a certain point when I was just giving you scene files and you were making them look super sexy. Oh, thank you, man. Um, so the first thing, like um, all the Happy Toolbox models come kind of pre-subdued uh, out, meaning that they're all you know under a subdivision surface uh, object so they get all smooth and stuff. Well, I knew since I was going to, at the time, I thought I was going to be using Redshift and I wanted to do all of the subdivisions at render time. I didn't want to have to deal with all of that happening in my viewport. And I didn't want to have all of these um, subdivision surface redundancies. So that was one of the first things um, I asked Chris to give me everything outside of the subdivision surface. So they all came in pretty low poly and, and fast and pretty responsive. Then um, went through the process of adding um, redshift tags to all of the objects and, and subdividing them at render time, all looking good. But along that, during the process of of doing the look dev in the beginning before I had any animated assets, Redshift was doing just fine. Like it was, it was giving me the look I wanted. Speed was great. And that's really what I wanted to use this project as like kind of like a test subject because I knew it was going to be fairly complex in terms of amount of objects and animation and things like that. I knew that it, it would be something that we could either render on the farm or I could render home if I, if we needed to, whichever, you know, kind of came up. So that's why I started going down this redshift path, and I was already getting some pretty good results. The issue came uh, with redshift when I got the animated assets back from Chris, because what I was dealing with were like frequent crashes, like really frequent crashes in redshift. And the other ridiculously annoying thing was the refresh on the IPR. So. What happens in the scene with all of these objects that are in cloners popping on and, and whatnot, it creates uh, what's called a dirty flag, and I found this out later. Um, and a dirty flag is telling the renderer, hey, something has changed. You need to refresh the IPR window because something changed. So even though I wouldn't change anything and everything is cached out, every time I moved a frame, every time I selected a camera, every time I selected anything, the entire scene would get resent to Redshift, which would take a good two or three seconds pausing, waiting for it to like, you know, parse out everything, build the first few passes of the ray tracing, and just like before it delivers an image. And it got to be so annoying that it was kind of unworkable at that point between the crashes and that sort of thing going on. I was like, you know what, this is like making me angry. So I actually, I, I reached out to some of the Redshift folks and sent them some scenes. And I was like, listen, I really want to use this for this project, but I can't deal with this. This is like insane. Like every time I advance a frame, I'm waiting like 10 seconds to see the IPR refresh. Weren't you even sending them the file? It was like this really good, like, cause you're always giving tons of feedback. You know, you're one of the best beta testers ever just because you constantly have ideas for what you, what you want to see and why things aren't working and the way it should be working. And this turned into this primary example of like, okay, we're doing actual production here and I'm running into these issues. Like, how do I get around it? Yeah, I sent them. So I sent them the scene and they were like, oh, okay. Um, 
we'll take a look at it. And so immediately they were like, there's some sort of dirty flag going on here. Have you tried baking them out as Redshift proxies? And I'm like, I'm like, okay, but just so, just so you know, we're talking about hundreds of objects that are all animating. Each one of them is animating. And it's at this point in the game, we were at a thousand frames long. So imagine rendering out proxies, like which are basically baking out the geo into sort of like an Alembic file or something, but it's 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 native to Redshift, it's faster, whatnot. So I, I said, okay, I'll do that. I'll 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 do it because I want to know what's wrong. So I baked out the entire scene into several Redshift proxies based on uh, the categories that they had, we had set up in the scene file, buildings, trees, whatnot. And this took a long time, and I think it was like, I want to say it was like 15 or 20 gigs at this point. And I uploaded them all to Dropbox for the Redshift guys to look at. And it still was doing it. So it was never solved, and they never were able to tell me what it was and why it happened. And it really kind of bummed me out because this was a pretty typical production scenario. A lot of assets, a lot of animation. Uh, it's a single camera move. Um, well, it's, essentially, it's, it's Cinema 4D and a bunch of cloners. It's almost right. what Cinema 4D is built to do. So Exactly. So I kind of made the choice at that point. I wasn't too far down the path. And it's not that complex of a, of a scene in terms of lighting and shading. So yeah, I was like, you know what? one shader in the whole thing. So what I did was is I quickly stripped uh, the last scene that I think that you gave me. I stripped out everything and I just opened it up in Arnold and started like bopping around, like bopping around the timeline to see if it was responsive. And Arnold didn't flinch. Arnold was just like start to st the IPR would start up right away. Not a problem. Change to this frame. IPR starts up right away. And it was it was like. It, it was like I had been walking in mud and then suddenly I'm like on a hardwood floor. I'm like, whoa, hey, this feels pretty good, you know, like moving around <laughs> stuff. And it, it was like, okay, this is how I'm going to finish this job. So, so once that was done, it was a matter of taking all of the materials that I had made in Redshift and quickly making them in Arnold. I was using HDRI Link, which was great because then all I had to do is like, okay, I use this map in Redshift. I'm going to use this map in Arnold. And for those of you that have bounced around between the two, there's actually a 30 degree difference in the rotation of the dome light in Redshift from the skylight in Arnold. Oh, that's interesting. So, so once you know this like little key, like, oh, it's it's negative 30 degrees uh, on top of everything, you can get a perfect match between HDRI Link in Arnold or Redshift. So I got the, and I was using, I think, one of the images from Paradise, I believe, that has a really nice sun. And a bunch of other, like, little light, area lights and stuff, kind of giving me um, little bounces and things of that nature. But that's, that's all one wood shader. I was going to say, you had one shader. It would, did you? And somebody has a question in the chat saying, did you have any kind of texture conversion process? But I think with just one shader, you just manually rebuilt it, right? Yeah, that was another thing going into it. I wanted to see if I could, and this was just like a nerdy challenge for myself. I wanted to see if I could do this entire shot with one wood shader and use only variants to all my different variance techniques to get different looks out of each piece. So that's what I did. So in Redshift, I had done that. And it was actually even easier and more robust in Arnold because Arnold's Arnold has this amazing random uh, utility where not only will it give each object in your scene a random color as like a like a user data almost like pass but you can also change the seed of that at any point in your shader tree so i would use that to offset the texture i would use it to offset the color i would use it to offset the um the glossiness of every piece of wood so every piece of wood in there is unique in in its own way the only thing that it shares is that it's pulling the same wood texture map and everything else is completely random so the color correction of each one is a little bit random the glossiness is a little bit random the bump intensity is a little bit random and i built that specifically so that you could get what looks like at least 15 or 20 different wood shaders but you're only doing it with one 
and then I could just change the seed. So I split out seeds for every parameter. So I'm like, ah, you know, I like this one, but this one, I wanted the the tower, like the, the water tower to have slightly different shades of wood uh, on the sandwich pieces. So I would just keep hitting seed, you know, change seed until I found one that I liked. And I'm like, yeah, that looks pretty good. And then I'd move on. And then came the time of like building out the passes. And then I, I built like, um, in Arnold, of course, you, you can build out crazy complex, but really easy to set up mats for everything. So I had mats for all the different um, categories. So there's tree mats, there's building mats, there's um, city um, build, like uh, the streets and cars had a mat pass. Um, and then that was really, yeah, and I had tried to set the scene up for you as cleanly as possible so that you had like a building cloner. So you could just be like, okay, everything in there, that's a building. Yeah, and I use layers a lot. So I'm a huge layer nerd and I moved, Chris had given me like everything really well organized and I just started dumping all that stuff into layers. And then what I, what I like to do is I work in layer color mode almost all the time so that I have a, when I open up my scene, I can instantly tell what is what based on the color of the object here. I'll share my, I've actually never done that before. I'll share my screen. Uh, I, I literally only use layers when I'm creating a rig for a character. It's the only time when it there, you want to hide so many of the things to just get at the meat of the controls. Only time I use layers. Yeah, I use it all the time. All right. So, here is here is the scene. So you've got like a rainbowy Minecraft looking world there. Yeah, so everything is in layers over here. So I've got the trains, I've got lights, cameras, everything in layers. So that way I can easily turn things on and off. I can see what's going on. And then if you come over to the um, options here and you turn on the uh, layer color, it allows you to see whatever color your layer is will will show in your in your viewport here and then I, of course i've got everything sort of dumbed down to bounding boxes shaded bounding boxes so that i can like really quickly zip around my scene and even then it's not super fast because you got to remember there's a lot of things animating uh, there's thousands of objects in this yeah scene. There's, so, like, there's thousands of just trees in that scene yeah so just like working like this it was it was pretty pretty responsive and if i if i fire up um if I fire up Arnold here, let me just uh, change my scale. To Arnold isn't really doesn't really care. I mean, it takes a second for it to um, to initially load. Um, watch it'll crash during this. Oh, that'd be great. Um, it would be totally uh, something that would happen too. Actually, maybe I didn't push it. Did I push it? I don't know. Oh, yeah, but, uh, I didn't push it. So there you go. So now it's starting. Um, so once it kind of loads in. It'll take a minute. Let's see what it's what is it it's doing. It's loading up megabytes. I don't know what that is. You know what? It's um, there's some textures that have moved since since I started this job, so oh. it's not it's not going to work. So I apologize. I didn't have that ready, but um, yeah, it it was it's very responsive this way. But using using layers is like my favorite thing because I can just come in here and be like, you know what? I don't want to see any of the models in my viewport. I only want to see the ground or I want to see all of them, but I don't need to see them in my object lister because I only want to do this. And I think I even created, no, I didn't actually create any bookmarks, but I was going to go in and like create some bookmarks based on um, the different objects. And Chris was nice enough to give me a selection object here. So if I did need to select all the cloners, I could do that pretty easily right there. Um, so it's always good to kind of go in and like clean house before you start really diving in. So this became... This is great and this was awesome, but it became kind of a problem when things would change because Chris doesn't have Arnold. Um, it was a lot of like, okay, so what did you change? And then I'd be like, okay, I'll copy and paste that back in. And it, you know, hindsight, I think probably what we should have done is maybe. I don't know. Like, what do you think? Like, I don't know. To a certain degree, it's almost like we should have had a master file on Dropbox or something. So I could have been opening up your file. I wouldn't have been able to render, but when I went to make changes, I could be like, hey, don't change anything for a little bit. I'm going to update all these animations and then give it back to you. And then it would have been off the same master file. Because I remember there was one point when I didn't realize you were doing that workflow and I kept giving you a new pass and a new pass and a new pass. I thought you were just copying render settings in. 
and mm. like dropping a material on. I didn't know he had it all super reorganized. And this one point when you sent like a small render test and I was like, why it was like, why does the train look like that? I fixed that like four or five versions ago. And you're like, <laughs> and that's when you explained the, the entire process and that you were having to do all those things manually. And meanwhile, every time I gave you a new, a new copy, I had made like dozens of changes throughout the scene. Yeah. So that's always a good idea to um, commute. Like we probably, yeah, I think had we been like, okay, how are you doing this? And then, okay, how are you doing this? And then we could have like, you know, um, coalesced a little bit more but like i feel like we um we did pretty good given the fact that you don't even have arnold on your system or redshift and uh you know we were passing assets back and forth pretty easily um, i remember one yeah. of the 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 best and worst part of working with chad on a project like this is when you finally sat down and it was pretty late into the process and you were like all right we are doing like the final look dev here like what is the color of the background where is the light striking what is the tone of the wood and the problem here is every you were giving me a render like every two minutes and they would be completely <laughs> different colors completely different lighting like a completely different tone of wood but all of them looked gorgeous it's like oh here's a good like oh look at this one I mean, oh my god you nailed it perfect done and you're like what about this one's like oh man now i don't know between that it's like wait here's two more it's like oh no what do we like i don't even know anymore now like now now you just have to choose again because i, I can't trust my eye on it that's the fun part, man. Like, I love doing that. Like, I, I'm, I think if you've probably learned one thing from working with me is that I am not afraid to completely pivot and like go a completely different way with the look or, yeah. you know, anything. And I like that because I feel like you got to be kind of open to the process and like try a bunch of stuff and see what looks good. And um, sometimes I think at one point we played around with like uh, it being a color. Yeah, like we, end, we, we ended with a very kind of natural sky type world, but you, you went to color world for a while. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking the whole thing was like on a colored sweep. And, you know, that is kind of where it was in the beginning. And then I, then I was like, I don't know, man, like I, I'm not feeling the scale. So I started, I brought in some environment fog. And once I brought in environment fog and more of like a daylight situation, I was like, man, this looks like Zootopia. So I opened up, I watched Zootopia again. And I was <laughs> like, I want to do Zootopia, man. Like that looks like way more fun. So then that's what brought me to like a more natural sky color and uh, and just like the, the color grade and everything. I just kind of took it in a bit more of like the Zootopia world, which I thought was kind of fun. And and I was, it, but I left the white uh, floor because anything else that I did on the floor just like drowned everything out. Yeah, it like, made it really muddy. Yeah. So I tried like a color down there, like a green, because I thought maybe it was like grass or something. And that, that looked weird. And then I tried actually a, a wood. I tried a different kind of wood and it was like wood on wood and like nothing, everything was just like muddy, like you said. And, um, yeah, it just it just seemed to fit best with the white, and so we just went with it. It was a lot well, of fun. Yeah, no, I I thoroughly enjoyed the project. It was fun to going back and forth on it. It was fun wrapping it up, and then we had to we even finished it a couple of weeks ago. And then we were trying to get we were like, oh, we're gonna go super crazy on the sound design, or what do we want to put there? And I know I was being kind of picky about the music. Oh, we skipped but, over some stuff too. Yeah, but we're already we're reaching near the end of it, and I want to make sure we get some questions in from people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we yeah, can go we, a little long. We but. used Pixel Plow to render it with Arnold, and it was fantastic. It was like so easy. Um, and then it was re it was comped in uh, Blackmagic Fusion, um, and all the color grade was done in there with a little bit of my own color grade and the Gorilla Grade LUTs that we sell on our site. Um, but yeah, that's all I wanted to finish that part up. Yeah. Um, so let's take a look at the questions. Uh, uh, Christopher's asking if we ran into the classic, I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do kind of problem. <laughs> um, I think we lucked out this time because I had a very specific idea of something I wanted to tackle. And I just started working on it, not talking to anybody else. So Chad didn't see anything. He didn't even know I was doing anything until I gave him a fairly solid idea. And there, there's a bunch of like, I was like, okay, Chad, I want to do this, but I don't know the final look or camera move or anything, but I want to have all these things animate on. And even that, my idea had been that the camera was going to fly in from the front and 
everything's going to scale and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we ended up st starting in the middle of the city and pulling out from it. So when you gave me the camera move, it was actually the complete opposite of what I was expecting, but it was such a gorgeous camera move. As I was, okay, I'm sold. So I guess we had a fairly solid, like we had that, the, the, we've talked a lot about like blue sky problems and we actually didn't have that problem here because I had, the entire thing was inspired from a specific idea I had. And I was super, I, hopefully I was super open about, okay, what do we do from there? Because I, was, I wasn't locked on anything except I want to do a cool spot with all these models. Yeah, we, we also didn't, we also didn't really um, overthink it. Like once we kind of landed on, uh, once I saw what you had done and I was like, oh, let me just try a camera in here and that kind of came together pretty well. And then we just didn't overthink it. Like we just were like, okay, this is working. Let's just keep going this direction. And it's really not like ultra complex of a concept. It was like a camera move that ends on the city and like, you know, shows the variety of, of all the different uh, models that you get when you get this pack. And it was, it was something that just was supposed to be fun, show the variety, be kind of in the, in the art direction and feel of the pack itself. And so, yeah, we didn't really, we were lucky in that um, Chris had the great idea already. So we just kind of was like, all right, let's just build off that. Let's just do that, which is awesome because then you don't have to waste a bunch of time. Like, oh, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, we also intentionally kept the scope small. Like, we've got other people around on the team, and we're just like, okay, we're going to keep this quiet and kind of a secret and then unveil it that it's a cool, fun project. If we're working on this after hours, we're doing what we want with it. Yeah. We have another one like that, too, that we need to finish. Yeah. That one's crazy. That one's definitely got to get. And they might not ever see the light of day, but but we can always tease out wasted hours but man there's i've got hours of recorded video for that so we'll have to see if we do something with it yeah we got we owe it to ourselves to do something with that uh nick uh donlon is asking what our timeline was start to finish we didn't give ourselves like a deadline it was just something we were working on we even i started working on it we are already going to launch the product so it wasn't going to be before the product so we didn't have that hard deadline coming up on us so we had a little bit of freedom there but I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, we. It was like maybe th like three weeks of active kind of like tinkering around and back jumping back and forth. Maybe. Oh, uh, there's a good way for me to check. I'm just gonna check the my project dates. Okay. Let me, okay. Um, I think it's probably like two weeks. I want to say. Oh, is it that short? But then we took some time away from it, and then we came back to it, or at least I did. Uh, let's see. Where is it at? Yeah, it looks like, yeah, the first um, saved projects I think I had were from 10.13 or around 10.14. And then um, the last... Yeah, I, was, I had tinkered like, with that beforehand. Like, you didn't do anything until I had gotten the whole giant landscape built out. So I yeah. probably had been tinkering for like four days or so before that. So, and then the last one that I did, I think was like 1023. So from 10, so about 10 days of my time. Um, and then, yeah, we've already been tackling a bunch of the render farm problems we were getting, just baking things out. I know that there's, you were talking about baking all the stuff out in Redshift and there's one point when we were trying to solve the problem. I was trying to solve the problem at my end and I was taking all the cloners and baking them out. And it's when we were at a thousand frames and once they were all baked, I, I think that might be where that 15 gig number came in because I was like, okay, I sync the files up. And you're like, these were 15 gigs. I can't send this over to Pixel Plow. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like that was the other thing too. Like you, you can't, like when the Redshift guys were telling me like, oh, just, you know, break, bake out these giant proxies. It's like, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. But when you're trying to upload gigs of data to a render farm, that takes a really long time. And it's just not it's just not economical it's just doesn't make sense at that point so that was like you know i was i was a bit mad about not being able to use or stick with redshift but i'm happy i feel like this has happened to me before on on one of the gsg spots i started off in redshift and i ended up in arnold because arnold is so bulletproof and it's not the fastest renderer out there but it is solid and like you can send it to a farm and you know it's going to work i think i think that, that you're under 
understating that. I think there was that the most recent spot you put together, which was like the advertisements with the cool DVD boxes flying into the box in reverse. I, I thought I swear you switch renderers like four times on that. You're like, all right, I'm doing I'm doing Redshift. Oh, that didn't work. I'm switching to Arnold. Oh, I'm having a problem with Arnold. You know what? Maybe I can do it in Redshift. No. I and I think I think for a second you're even like, I'm thinking about jumping into Octane to try and do it that way. Like there was a there was a bunch of jumping around on one of them where you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna explode. Yeah, I'm trying to remember renderers. what it was. I'm trying to remember that one and why. And what? Yeah, I, I I can't remember that. I don't remember that one. On honestly, I do remember switching. I don't remember why. I do yeah. remember why on the gorilla grade spot with the cameras and stuff. I switched to Arnold uh, because at that point Redshift wasn't supported on Pixelplow, and I needed to get it done. And I wasn't about to sit there and watch my machine render for four days straight. Um, Especially at the SIGGRAPH. Yeah, so like, no, that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, and honestly, uh, you know, if you're not doing really complicated stuff and you're not, you don't have as many objects as we do and they're not all animating, then yeah, probably Redshift would have worked fine. But Well, it's the danger of like, these renderers all work really well if you're doing daily renders. If, if, right. you got, if you got these third-party renders, like, oh, look, I, I threw a sphere in. It looks great. I did this. Oh, look, I've, I copied a building in. Cool, that looks good. Like, and then now you get a client, and it's like, oh, I need an entire city. It's like, oh, look at all these brand new problems that I didn't know existed, and now things need to be baked, and this has to change. I mean, I'll say from my end, because I don't really, I haven't even really dabbled in the third-party renderers, but all of the things that I was doing in cinema, and I'd send it to you, and then they just wouldn't work in the renderers, it was getting like, oh, come on. Like, everything I love about being parametric we just couldn't carry any of it over. It was so frustrating. Everything had to be made editable. Everything had to be baked down. We had to cache so many things. It's like everything that's parametric about the scene is now gone. And like anything that could be merged into one model, we were trying to do that just to keep the file sizes down and keep it moving a little bit faster. So yeah, I don't my th- workflow being optimized for parametric Cinema 4D workflow, suddenly having it that plug into a different pipe like the the nozzles of those two pipes are very different, so you yeah, had to you had like, to have adapters, little yeah. adapters that go into them. Yeah, that that's that's the problem. I mean, so I don't I don't have the deep history of the the parametric workflows that that you do in Cinema 4D. So it's I'm a little bit like eh, whichever you know, but yeah, you the the um the cracks in the armor of third party renderers show themselves when you stress test them on a real job. It's like one thing to say, oh yeah, how long did that take, that 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 daily render? But when you do a real job, and I know and this obviously, well, we didn't have clients. If we had clients, then this would have been a lot more stressful, but luckily we didn't have that. But we still tested it in the production scenario and I ended up using Arnold and that's, that's because it was the most rock solid and worked and that that's the truth and and if that changes great but right now if people are like asking me always asking me like what render they should use i'm always like well what do you make it like what's your are you going to are you going to push it is this going to be a type of job that you would do then you'll probably want to look at arnold because it's more rock solid it's not going to buckle under these pressures it's not it's not going to fail um, but if you're not, like you just do little things or daily renders or maybe stills or something, then the other renders might be f- better for you. And I'm sure Redshift will fix some of these issues. At least I'm hoping they have my scene file and I'm hoping that, um, that they can sort through it and figure out these dirty, these dirty, dirty flags, so, which is such a weird name. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to sum up what I think your impression of the renderers are right now is... I think that Redshift does everything that Octane would do for you, except you like Redshift better. Like you think Redshift does it better. And I feel like your heart is with Redshift right now and you love how quick it iterates and the tools and it's got lots of things you really like. But then like, yeah, when you go and you stress test it, Redshift isn't quite what you need it to be at that moment. And so you go back to what seems to be a rock solid thing where you're getting the beautiful render, even if you're brute forcing a little bit with Arnold. Yeah, that's like that car analogy. Like... If I'm in the mood to like just drive fast and I'm just like whatever gas prices, I don't care. 
to hell with everything, but just driving really fast, I'll be in redshift. If I'm, if I need to, um, like, I don't and that's know. That's when you're in your sports car and you want to turn all the heads. It, yeah. And if I need to like drive my parents to the airport and it's started snowing out and I have to get them to this flight, I'm not getting in that car. I'm getting in this like, I don't know, Canyon arrow. <laughs> I'm getting in the Canyon arrow and like going to drive over a whole city or through a forest or something. And that's Arnold. So it's just about what is going to work. And I almost always, when I'm doing like heavy production, will come back to Arnold because it's just so stable and it just works. And there are things that I'm doing now which are all in Redshift because I need that speed. I need to iterate. I need to see what it's going to look like immediately. Um, so it's just, yeah, those are kind of like which key, which car keys do I grab? Yeah. But uh, we're already running a little bit long. I just want to do a little bit of wrap up here. Uh, we got some other questions from people, but uh, they're a little bit more general topics. So keep an, an eye out for maybe the next big AMA that we do where it's more general questions. This one was very specific about uh, this project. Also, this was sort of a, a little experiment here. We've never done a project breakdown. I would love to see comments from you guys about if you like this format, if this is kind of a cool type of topic for us to approach, do a breakdown. I think we tried to keep it very audio friendly, but you know, yeah. talking about a project breakdown, at least everybody will hopefully have at least seen the project before watching or listening <laughs> to the podcast. That would be probably pretty helpful. We'll but I'd love up. to see comments if you like this format, if you don't like this format, because and who knows what kind of projects and processes and things we could break down along these lines. So that would all be really fun. If you guys haven't checked out the Happy Toolbox models, I, I do want to say how, how of all the problems we had, I didn't have any problems with the models themselves. It, it was they're so light, like you turn off all the subdivision surfaces, and like I have thousands of items in the scene, and Cinema 4D would take like two seconds, cache, and I could move the camera around in real time, even with all the stuff in cloners. Like they're just simple and clean and fun and they all work together really nicely and even like the pile of blocks if you watch the spot i built like bridges and roads and train stations there's all these things built out of the blocks just for fun so the model pack itself was I mean, it's the reason i want to make the spot but they they did not disappoint as far as making something nice and stylized quickly and they're all UV too. They're all the UVs are even though I, I didn't actually use the UVs, I did, I did everything with with triplanar mapping, but the UVs are there and they're great. So Yeah. So uh thanks everybody for watching and uh we'll probably see you guys next week for another GSG podcast. So bye bye everybody. Thanks everybody. <laughs>